And all that CO2 we're sending skyward goes up into one sky. We all live under that on this planet. And so we are going to talk to someone from one sky about the election results, of course, with our green lenses on, as always. Adi Nochur is the Partnerships Coordinator for OneSky. They, of course, are very concerned about climate change and trying to educate and activate more Americans to uh, fight the battle that we have to win or it will be a very unstable climate. And Lord knows what havoc will be wreaked for our children and grandchildren. But we don't even have to look that far into the future because uh, I swear every week I turn on the morning shows and there's some, you know, historic weather event, epic weather bomb. You know, we just saw it last week in the Midwest. Uh, 90 per mile hour winds and you know these kinds of things uh, if you're connecting the dots we can't say for sure no no one weather event can be proven to be a result of climate change but it certainly is a pattern that scientists have predicted we would start seeing when uh, global warming hits our shores and it appears appears to many of us that it has so let's look at the good news and bad news from the midterm elections with Adi thanks for joining us on the green front thank you so much for having me on the program Betsy pleasure to be here well, we've been speaking with Becky Bond, uh, Credo Action Director, about the uh, defeat of Proposition 23 in California. That certainly is good news, and it was a strong defeat. Some 60 to 40 percent rejected that measure, which would have uh, overturned California's landmark climate change legislation, AB 32. And uh, let's uh, so focus on some of the national wins and losses. Uh, certainly there are um, too many Tea Partiers and uh, climate deniers that got into office, and uh, what does that say, do you think, about the state of awareness of average Americans uh, if most of these Tea Partiers don't believe that climate change is a real threat or even caused by humans? Apparently, we have not done a, a sufficiently good job of educating uh, people because it's certainly not in our self-interest to deny climate change realities. Yeah, um, I would say that it's definitely uh, discouraging to see that a lot of the, the newly elected representatives and senators um, who are going to be part of the 112th Congress are straight-out climate deniers. It definitely uh, casts doubts on what kind of strong action we can get on climate and clean energy uh, in the next couple of years at a federal level. There are definitely, um, there are definitely things that we can do, which I'm excited to share with you um, as, we, as we move forward on the program. But... I think it does speak to the need that we do need to really um, do a lot of get get back to a lot of basic grassroots organizing around uh, around the issues of climate change and clean energy and really make the case to the public of how these issues can really bring about tangible benefits. I think that definitely has to be a big part uh, as we recalibrate our organizing strategies for the next couple of years ahead. Well, it is difficult to get the scientific realities out when, um, you know, Fox News is dominating the airwaves and, uh, you know, something like 90% of all radio talk shows uh, are dominated by conservative right-wing climate deniers, tend to be. Uh, and so you would think, if you just looked at um, mainstream media, that um, we really don't have a problem other than those who are, you know, getting themselves all hysterical, to quote uh, Sean Hannity when I was on his program once, getting all hysterical about global warming and, he said that while they were all yelling over each other. I said, who's getting hysterical? I mean, it's, it's, a, it's amazing to me that we, this is my um, passion here, we don't have one green talk show on, you know, mainstream airways, both radio or television. No wonder people don't really understand what's at stake. I mean, how much blame do you give to media? And I'm not talking about online social media. That's obviously making a, a huge difference with groups like Credo and One Sky. But after all, it's, it's mostly talking to the choir, those of us who already believe our environmental challenges are real, and of course we need to grow the choir, and that is, social media certainly one great tool in that effort, but there's plenty of, you know, baby boomers uh, who, you know, have, as I say, 
several, if not many, decades ahead who who still are not quite on board. And um, what what do you think the challenge is there? How do we um, circumvent that? I think um, obviously um, we we have had challenges with the media who have tended to present the debate around climate science as very much a he he said she said kind of kind of scenario, um, giving a lot of the deniers out there equal time with the overwhelming majority of peer-reviewed climate scientists who think that this is a serious problem. And I think you also really need to look at um, following the money as, as all this plays out. And I think in the elections yesterday, we really um, saw the results of what happens when, when coal companies and oil companies can can spend unprecedented amounts of money to um, to get their favorite candidates elected to office. We saw um, fossil fuel interests spend over $70 million on energy-related attack ads this election cycle alone, which is which is quite simply mind-boggling in the wake of the Citizens United decision that people don't even know where this money is coming from. And you see these same oil and coal companies who are funding the climate deniers and have been funding climate deniers for a long time now. So I think we really need to articulate um, whose interests are really at stake here when it comes to uh, the results of the elections and the role of, of special interests and in really um, concealing some of the hidden agendas at work here. President Obama in his news conference today said something like, I'm paraphrasing here, I don't think there's anyone who thinks that our energy policy is working. Uh, we need to, you know, cross the aisle, work together to uh, have more options that involve natural gas, electric cars, and, you know, there's, there's opportunities to work together. At the same time, Republican leader Mitch McConnell only talked about clean coal as an option. So how, do, how are they going to cross that divide? And, and I think, you know, there's reason to hope that President Obama, who we certainly thought was going to be, you know, one of the greenest presidents, if not the greenest president since uh, Jimmy Carter told us to put a sweater on. You're too young to remember that, I'm sure, but I do. Um, you know, that he'll spend the next two years, you know, trying to deal with energy matters and create some proactive energy policy and deal with climate change because it certainly got, you know, knocked off the front burner in the first half of his administration and, and there's no sign that it's going to come up anytime soon. How can people who are concerned make sure that it is higher up on the agenda than it has been pushed down to? I think um, we'll definitely see uh, we'll, we'll definitely see that energy is not going to go away as an issue. I, um, I think the president obviously recognizes that, um, and, and leadership of both parties recognize that energy is is an issue. And I, obviously, the question is then, what kind of energy legislation are we going to get? And under um, a Republican-controlled Congress, it, the prospects aren't necessarily good for folks who are concerned about uh, climate change and clean energy. Uh, I think we, it would be great to see some progress on on things like a renewable energy standard. So we're looking at opportunities to really support means forms of energy like solar and wind that um, that um, don't produce greenhouse gas emissions. But when it comes to a lot of the talk, like you highlight around this idea of clean coal or around nuclear power or expanding offshore oil drilling, those are a lot of compromises that we saw were floated even during the negotiations over climate change legislation over the past uh, the past six months when the issue was was moving forward in the Senate, and we can expect to see uh, debates about those same issues again. And uh, and in our position at One Sky, we see that as the wrong way to go. We don't see uh, putting more money into the, the same old fossil fuels that have got us into this problem as the way to go. Uh, we can also expect a Republican-led Congress to mount attacks on the Clean Air Act. We've already seen a lot of attacks on the Clean Air Act in this Congress, and we can expect those to continue now that uh, climate legislation has, has sort of uh, um, stalled out in Congress. We can expect that 
we'll have a lot of going after the Clean Air Act, which is one of the only tools we have right now to start reducing global warming pollution. So at OneSky, we're definitely going to be vigilant in making sure that we are protecting the Clean Air Act against attacks in Congress and making sure the Obama administration really feels empowered to move forward to use the Clean Air Act to start moving us in the right direction. And before we um, focus entirely on the future, and there certainly was good news from this election, of course, the defeat of Prop 23, mostly funded by oil interests, uh, but also the victory of Barbara Boxer, who's long been a champion on um, energy and environmental issues, Jerry Brown, who's been green before there was a green movement. I'm old enough in a California, uh, California from almost um, beginning of my life to, to remember that. So there, there are positive developments there for those who are watching, you know, just environmental issues alone. And yet, let's just take a moment to, to look at how upsetting it is that we just went through a perfect storm, you know, in terms of um, events with, a, you know, record uh, heat and fires in Russia, the, you know, flooding in Pakistan, uh, all the death and destruction from that, and then, of course, the uh, Gulf oil kill. Uh, and, and you'd think that, um, and, and also nothing happened in Copenhagen, that the Senate would have, you know, taken up this issue in a more serious way. And you'd think that, um, you know, those who would deny climate change is real would not have done as well in this election. So clearly there's a lot of work to be done in terms of connecting the dots and, and educating and outreach to, to more Americans, regardless of their political persuasion. Certainly, and there's definitely a lot of things that we need to pick apart. We can definitely look at this um, election on, on one hand, one narrative you could describe to it is that uh, climate deniers are on the rise, and we certainly did see a lot of um, climate deniers who have been elected to Congress. But we, like you said, we also have a lot of our champions who won re-election, folks like Barbara Boxer in California, Senator Michael Bennett in Colorado, who won a very closely contested race. We've um, worked with with um, our volunteers in Colorado to really push him to be a champion for the for the Clean Air Act and for strong climate legislation. So we've definitely seen some of our champions really pull it out. And that's one thing that we really want to do in the wake of this um, election. Disappointing as the results are, we've already seen some of the media spin kind of say that this election was a referendum on climate legislation. All the Democrats who voted for the climate bill who are in vulnerable seats uh, lost, their, uh, lost their elections because they voted for the climate bill. And if you look at the numbers, uh, the results don't really bear that out. If you look at the Democrats in the House who voted for climate legislation uh, last June in 2009, 80% of the Democrats who voted for the American Clean Energy and Security Act won their, um, won their re-election races. So that's 83% of Democrats who supported climate legislation still um, living to see another Congress. Whereas if you look at the uh, Democrats who voted against that bill, um, about 60% of them actually lost their re-elections. So voting against the climate bill actually didn't help them in their re-election campaigns. So it's this, these elections really weren't a referendum on climate per se. We can still point to a lot of data out there that shows that the vast majority of the American people want action on legislation that will reduce pollution and create jobs in a clean energy economy and that we really want, need to seize those opportunities. So continuing to highlight that is going to be a really key priority of, of one, the One Sky campaign moving forward to really show that regardless of the election results, um, these issues aren't going away, that we still have a climate crisis on our hands and that we need our policymakers to do something about it. And not to dwell on the negative, but we also lost Russ Feingold as a leader. He's always been strong on environment and energy issues. That's uh, disappointing. Yeah, certainly that's another disappointing result from the, from the evening. And he's such an independent and bold leader. I, I think we need independent and bold leadership now more than ever. Uh, so what can you say to folks who are, you know, overall kind of discouraged that um, we're in this mess in 2010 where it's still a fight to convince 
too many Americans that we have a very real and very pressing danger in the form of climate change, not to mention what's going on with our oceans. Absolutely. Um, to folks out there who are feeling discouraged, I would say that um, that obviously the, the elections are disappointing, and we can't and we can't sugarcoat that. But also to look at how far we've come as a movement in the last couple of years, um, despite all the the corporate opposition that we've seen, despite the political climate, we still came closer than we've ever come before to passing any kind of climate legislation at the federal level. And I think that definitely represents progress, even though um, at one sky and a lot of other. Uh, colleagues in the movement feel that the legislation was a lot weaker than it needed to be and com- more compromised than it needed to be, uh, that we still came this far um, but fell short really shows the need to build a much stronger movement that's going to really be able to beat back the special interests in the future and deliver the kind of progress that we need. And I think the scope for grassroots movement building and what's been happening in the last few months is really inspiring. The sheer amount of constituencies that came together for the climate fight, uh, the, both in the Senate as well as looking at Prop 23, an amazing example of grassroots organizing, really beating back the special interests. I think we can look to some great examples from California that we should be trying to replicate nationally in terms of bringing diverse groups together to push for a clean energy future. Um, I think we can look back to uh, the 10-10-10 Global Work Parties in coordination with 350.org, with that featured 2,000 events across the nation and 7,000 across the world, really highlighting local climate solutions and calling upon elected officials to take these issues seriously. Um, the largest uh, day of climate action in history. I think we can really look at those as examples of the movement really getting more and more engaged. And the idea that the grassroots movement on climate is down and out, I think, is, is frankly quite ridiculous. And we need to really come together as a movement and stay engaged at all levels, despite the disappointments, because we can guarantee that um, now that the coal um, and oil um, industries have been able to get some more uh, friendly elected officials in office, they're definitely not going to be going away. They're going to be staying engaged on the federal level. They're going to continue um, spending a lot of money on these issues. So it's up for our movement to really stay engaged at all levels because um, clean energy is really worth fighting for, and that's that's something that we need to come together both um, on all levels, from looking at the local level, what kind of progress we can make all the way up to the federal level, and making sure we're staying engaged, making sure that we're protecting the Clean Air Act and continuing to build this movement to be even stronger for the long term because it's going to take a much deeper level and larger level of grassroots engagement to really make um, more long-term progress on these issues. And I think uh, emphasizing the need for energy independence is something that all Americans should be able to rally behind. And uh, clean air is something that most people agree. And certainly the um, creation of green jobs and really growing the green industry um, because we do have to, you know, really put... Uh, a green tint on just about everything we do and how we do it. So there is reason for optimism, and I do appreciate your uh, continuing optimism. And uh, most on good days, I feel I share that. But just one more disappointment I have to note, and that was uh, when John Boehner, who is going to be the uh, Speaker of the House, choked up last night uh, talking about how he represents the ultimate American dream. Uh, I, I was crying for another reason, to see Nancy Pelosi, another champion of the environment, not leading the House, but someone who has not been a friend of uh, environmental action, proactivity, John Boehner. I mean, that is disturbing. He's got a lot of power. Yeah, um, I think we've, like, like I said earlier, we've definitely seen um, the coal and oil industries really show their, flex their muscle in this last election cycle, and it's and it's clearly paid off for them. But uh, certainly, I think there's still a lot of really great, great work that the climate movement can come together around in the weeks and months ahead, really building off of 
some of the organizing lessons from from the Prop 23 fight to really continue building the movement. We're definitely going to be staying engaged to make sure we're protecting the Clean Air Act against attacks from from the, this current Congress and future Congresses to come. Uh, we're also looking at opportunities that we can use um, to really take this fight to existing coal-fired power plants. How can we be phasing out some of the, the oldest and dirtiest coal-fired power plants out there? Greenpeace and Sierra Club are getting really engaged on that front, and we look forward to partnering with them in some of those efforts to really start winning um, local victories for, for public health and the climate with respect to coal-fired power plants. And then we also recognize that um, even though uh, Congress has changed, we still have um, we still have allies with the, in the Obama administration that we can work with. And you mentioned earlier that um, Obama... Uh, campaigned on climate change, and we've seen him take some good steps with passing the Recovery Act last year, which invested um, unprecedented sums in clean energy and energy efficiency, and to really keeping the pressure on Obama to to really um, step out and lead on these issues, to encourage President Obama to really use the EPA and the Clean Air Act to start making some dents um, when it comes to reducing pollution from oil refineries and coal-fired power plants, and also making sure that uh, the Obama administration is um, coming up with regulations that will hold the fossil fuel industry accountable for its more uh, conventional pollutants, pollutants like coal ash, like mercury, like sulfur and nitrogen dioxide. So really um, continuing to make sure Obama stands strong on those fronts. And we're also looking ahead in just a month to the uh, U.N. climate talks coming up in Cancun. And you mentioned Copenhagen earlier, which was um, quite a disappointment. But one of the good things that did come out of Copenhagen was that the Obama administration committed to helping to mobilize um, $100 billion in climate finance on an international level to really help developing countries um, transfer to clean energy and adapt to some of the worst impacts of climate change. And so as um, Cancun is coming up, we're definitely going to be mobilizing our volunteer base to really weigh in with the Obama administration to hold them accountable for their um, financial commitments so we can really make progress and have continued leadership on the international level, even if uh, Congress isn't going to move forward on these issues. And that is a definite reason for optimism, not to mention Energy Secretary Stephen Chu being from the very Green Bay Area and uh, truly an environmental and energy you know, leader, and also Lisa Jackson heading the EPA. So there are you know, people who get it in, his, in Obama's administration. Hopefully they're going to be able to uh, wield a little bit more clout in the second half of the Obama administration. So as we wrap up here, Adi, I uh, just want to get your take on um, – the possibility of launching a green tea party. Uh, people, some people say, oh, don't call it a tea party. They've uh, co-opted the conversation, but I think that's exactly the point to say, you know, they're they're mad as heck about things. But I think those of us who have watched, you know, for years, lack of action on um, issues, pressing issues, ecological issues like climate change and ocean destruction and um, just uh, biodiversity depletion, species dying, all those things that we read about every day in our inbox. Those of us who are tuned into our environment. You know, what about saying, you know, look at there's no jobs on a dead planet. We need to focus on green issues first. We're mad as heck that this has been kind of ignored. Uh, do you think there's a place for that to, at the national level, you know, keep the green message out there and, and say maybe this is not a political party, it's a practical party. This really is, you know, about our survival, and we need to address this first. And at the same time, perhaps a green tea party could have an educational component, and I have a vision of um, people who are, aware of what we can do to take action in our homes and our communities uh, to not only vote green but also, you know, have maybe green tea party uh, consultants go out to homes and serve green tea and have people invite their friends and, and the host and hostess get some free green tea and talk about what we can do to green our routine, so to speak. What do you think of that idea since I woke up thinking that might be what's needed next? 
I think we need to do um, everything we can to build the climate movement for the long term at all levels, from the local up to the national, like I said earlier. And I think a lot of it is going to be um, very localized engagement around things like energy efficiency and what people can do to green their homes and really engaging people on that front to bring new faces into the movement because we definitely need a much broader base for action than we've had before and using that to bring them into the conversation and engage them on a more political level as well. So uh, whether we call that a green tea party or a a global work party like we did um, last month with 350.org or whatever we want to call it, as long as it's helping build the movement and advance our, our goals for the long term, then I'm all for it. Absolutely. I guess I just see the need for, as I'm sure you'd agree, you know, even more grassroots uh, action and education since we have not seen the leadership at the global and national level yet as we need to. But hopefully that will change, but it's got to be from the top down and bottom up and in the middle everywhere. And um, just want to wrap up by uh, thanking you for your work at One Sky. It is important. And uh the future is green or not at all. So we, we have to continue uh, to fight, and there are you know reasons for optimism, and uh, let's hope they continue to make themselves known because those of us who are fighting on the green front lines you know, need to see that there is progress being made, and I think there are some, you know, there's a green lining that, to come out of this uh, election that had some dark results for those who are concerned about our planet, but, but also thank you for pointing out the reasons for Encouragement, And uh, also, not to mention the Obama administration a couple of weeks ago deciding that they would just say yes to solar panels. That, of course, was a result of the 10-10-10 Global Work Party led by the fearless and uh, wonderful activist Bill McKibben. And the next day on my radio program, I interviewed uh, the president of the Maldives Islands, uh, who had just had solar panels uh, installed on his home by Sungevity, uh, and talking about how Americans need to get a grip on climate change because he said it's not far off in the future it's here now, you know, in our sinking islands as the ocean, as the seas rise, and there's no place we can go. So that was a positive development, a couple of them in the last month. So thanks for sharing uh, your view of things, Adi Nochure, with One Sky. All right. Thank you so much for having me on the program, Betsy. Good luck to all of us, and that does it for this edition of Green Front. I wish you a great green week and continue to go out there and be ambassadors for our imperiled planet. It's uh, good for you. It's good for your kids. It's uh, good for generations to come. Uh, We all need to speak up once we know what we know because uh, it's not just a job. it's It's a lifetime goal to really raise awareness so Americans, if nothing else, are not ignorant about our ecological challenges. See you next time.